Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, Katina has an article that she's going to share. Do you want to give us a little sneak peek before we dive into some chit-chat? Yes, so this is a little bit of a different kind of an article than we usually talk about because it's not a psychology article necessarily. Um, This is an article about uh, how temperature um, in the office might affect people's ability to perform um, on different tasks. So uh, there is a difference in gender uh, and temperature that affects performance. So if you've ever been cold in your office, um, listen up because there may be some reason to believe that it's actually affecting your performance. Yeah, this article is kind of making the rounds, so I'm glad we get to talk about it. Yeah, it's always good when there's something in the public eye that we can kind of speak to, and we saw it going around, so I think that uh, it's good to weigh in and see what we think about it. Agreed. Well, before we dive into that, I want to see how you're doing, how your feetsies are doing, how you feeling. Um, I'm doing good. I'm trying to start walking without the crutches. So by the end of this week, I'm supposed to be crutch free, um, or I'm allowed to be crutch free by the end of this week. So I obviously want to try to do that. So I've been trying to rely a little less on the crutches. The thing that I hate though, is that instead of the crutches, I'm supposed to wear this like moon boot, (laughs) But the moon boot is very clunky and uncomfortable. So mm. when I'm just like in my house, it feels like kind of stupid to wear this like giant boot. So I sort of don't wear it. And then I like either put it on like last minute or I just like kind of hobble around without it and hope that that's okay. Um, uh, be careful. <laughs> I know. I am. Be fine. I am. I am. But uh But at this point, like my bones on the one side, the left foot, it's been eight weeks, which is kind of crazy. So that bone is healed. Um, Like it takes eight weeks for bones to fuse. And I've got like 10 more days until the bone on the right is fused. But the PT people are kind of like, yeah, I mean, you're not going to like re-break it or something. It's just that like you don't want to make yourself sore or whatever. So I'm I'm being still like very careful, but I am trying to become less dependent on the crutches because I would really, really appreciate not having to bring the crutches to Croatia. Yes, um, that would be that good. Would be, <laughs> yeah, that would be actually awesome if I could leave them here because it is kind of a pain. I also created a new invention in my mind that I think <laughs> I think the world needs, which is a kickstand for crutches because crutches are so annoying and they fall off of like you lean them on things and then they fall over and then it's Mm -hmm. like a scene and they don't want to lean on anything and they fall off stuff all the time and like there's no good way to lean them there's a lot of places where they like don't lean so I think that there should be a crutch kickstand if anyone wants to invent this I I probably won't yeah but I think it makes sense I mean I've been on crutches before and yeah, they do fall everywhere. And it's like, cause they're the metal and they're rounded. They just like, don't stay in place. Yeah. Like there could also be like something to put on them to help them from rolling off of things. I don't know, but yeah. I think it I is think a so legitimate problem. I agree. I feel like, I feel like it's a good invention. I'm probably not going to invent it. So if anyone wants to steal it from me, feel free. when are you going to Croatia again how many weeks um I am going to well first I'm going to Tucson for my friend's wedding on the 13th 
And then I come back from there on the 16th. Brendan's going with me to that, so we'll see how I do. Um, the doctor said that travel is okay at this point, so uh, we'll see how I do. And then I leave for Croatia on the 17th, and I come back on the 22nd, and then I'm in Alabama from the 22nd to the 24th. <laughs> and then after that, I'm nowhere, like, for from the end of June until um, – until I see you in August. In August. Yay. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like your June is going to be a little bit swamped. Yeah. I, I'm a little bit busy in June, but it'll be, I think I'll be able to, I'm, I'm staying with uh, another faculty member that I know in Croatia. So um, it's just really the airports that I need to navigate by myself. Um, oh, and I'm going to be one night in Dublin, which I'm excited about too. So oh, that's why like, I don't want to be like, I know me too. I'm staying I like purposely made myself stay in Temple Bar area and like I made <laughs> I have made myself dinner reservations at like a cute place or whatever. Um but that's why I just don't feel like dealing with like extra equipment if I don't have to because I yeah. wanna be more free in my existence. Yeah, and um, you've never been to Croatia, so it'd be nice to be yeah. able to take a little bit of time to see something, even if you can't walk too much, at least see a little bit. Yes. So and I will I I will be able to see some stuff so that's good, good. so good, it's all good, good. good how about you how are you doing I'm doing well um no like crazy exciting trips like Croatia in my future but we're going to Florida at the end of the month um so planning that uh to see Danny's family and so we'll see his parents um which will be so fun we haven't seen them since the wedding so I'm sure it'll be lots of reminiscing (laughs) that's awesome um but then I'm also doing medical things I feel like we're falling apart his I know (laughs) (laughs) Danny's dad is an orthopedic doctor so he's gonna I tore my rotator cuff like five years ago and it's been really bothering me and I'm like I just need to take care of it and then I have like as you know Katina I have like recurring ankle sprains like my tendon ankle is just a mess so he does um what's called PRP uh platelet rich plasma where they basically just like inject your own blood after you, I don't know whatever something about injecting <laughs> blood like it back into your um, injury site um, to help the healing process so it's it's an interesting um, methodology and seems to work really well so I'm freaking out because it includes taking blood and giant needles but <laughs> I think it'll be good for me and you know the recovery period is, is nothing like a surgery like what you had it's really just you know some downtime a couple weeks of ne- not a lot of activity and then after that it's just pt and going back at it so you don't have a ton of downtime with it which is nice and it's not like i have to be on crutches or have to stop walking entirely or something like you did i can still walk on my ankle i'm um, just kind of keep activity to minimum at first but that's happening for me so cool. when you're off and hopefully walking around i'll be taking a couple weeks to <laughs> be off my feet and we're a my, mess yeah and, and my shoulder but whatever um <laughs> at least though we're good I mean I do think that we're modeling paying attention to and addressing health related issues agreed so that's, that's true that's true I've I can't say I've been the best model because I could have had this PRP done a while ago but I went to PT first instead and and that really helped for many years but um, more recently, it's just kind of been irritating a little bit. So 
I think I need the next step and I'm hoping that this will resolve the issue and then I can be back to 100. So I, I don't know. We're getting old, I guess. And I we know. slowly fall apart as we're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, um, I mean, I had no choice really but to address it, but I feel like um, PT is like a little bit fun. Like yeah. I just started going to PT and I feel like the exercises are like a little like test and I, you know, like I like that. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I appreciate the little exercises that I have to do. And like, I like the idea of like when I was doing each one, I was like, Oh, like, can I do it? I can, whatever. Something that's really weird that they made me do was I had to pick up marbles with my feet and put them in me a too. jar. I yeah, had to do that with my ankle. And the woman was like, okay, like a lot of people are like not good at this. So like, don't feel bad if you can't do it. And for some reason I just was like, I don't know. Like I have a specific skill at picking things up with my feet apparently. And I was just like, bing, 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 like putting all the little marbles in the jar. And she was like, wow, it was supposed to take me five minutes and it took me 90 seconds to put them all in. And she was like, wow, like you're really good at picking stuff up with your feet. And for some reason <laughs> it made me really proud, even though it's like not a skill that anyone should care about having. And it's like completely <laughs> unuseful. But I was like, I was like, wow, I'm good at this. And it made me feel really proud of myself. So in some like nerdy, weird way, the PT process is fun. I wasn't good at all the exercises. So there's some that I need to improve on, but I was like, I don't know. I found it kind of fun to like try. It was like a little like mini, like, athletic battle of things that are like pathetic to do but not when you're injured yeah I totally agree with you I had to do the marbles too like um last time I sprained my ankle I went and got um some PT to just help recuperate it and I had to do the marbles and I was awesome at the marbles and yeah, I see? really had fun with it which is so, yeah. I felt like it was really weird but I really liked I it told you. um and and then I so there's that I really liked but also like with you're probably gonna have to do some balance things too is my guess um and for me you know I had to do a bunch of balance things to strengthen the ankle and I am not good at balance but it was really fun to see how I improved over time yeah and that I thought was really interesting it's like when you work out like obviously you see gains and improvement over time but not as quickly as I feel like some of the exercises I had with with PT, like the balance exercises, for example, were ones that I think that I'm like, oh, wow, like maybe I could actually be good at balance if I like just right, tried yeah. a little bit harder a few more times yeah. a week um, because I felt like I saw improvement pretty quickly. And that's so exciting. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's like kind of fun. And obviously we're both friends because we have um, good use <laughs> of our feet. The one thing I was wondering, though, is like I hope they clean those foot marbles. I saw them clean it, so it made me happy. You did? Okay. Yeah. They, like, okay. microwave them and then put something on them. So. Okay, so, like, they do with, like, pedicure or something. Because I, I did have one moment of, like, ugh, thinking, like, <laughs> <laughs> here I am having all this fun picking up these marbles, but they may have a, <laughs> may have a dark side. <laughs> no, your feet are safe with the marbles, so you're good. You're all good. good. Yay. Well, let's talk about temperature. I yes. think I'm really excited to hear about this article and I think it's relevant to a lot of people. Um, yes. I know when I worked in an office, I was cold all the time. I always had illegal space heaters um, and blankets and things. So I'm curious to hear how that probably detri was detrimental for me. <laughs> yes. Um, I So basically, the article demonstrates that the colder it is in a place where you're doing tasks the worse women perform 
Uh, and men perform a little bit better in slightly colder temperatures compared to warmer temperatures. And some of the background information on this that I was kind of looking into, like other articles that were written, basically said that like most workplaces set their temperature, like the people that set the temperatures are men or generally when offices were full more of men, like the idea of what temperature to make the office just came from what was comfortable to them. And so um, there's sort of a conjecture about the fact that uh, these temperatures kind of got set without having women in mind and Mm -hmm. what would actually be more comfortable for women would be a temperature that would be a little bit warmer and then this article kind of takes it a step further to say well does it matter uh, that women might feel a little bit colder compared to men in the office and what they found was actually yes it does matter that at higher temperatures women performed better um, and men performed a little bit worse um, at higher temperatures compared to colder temperatures. Yeah. Interesting. Well, t- back up a second and tell us the name of the article, who wrote it, where to find oh, yeah. it. So <laughs> then, but I think this is so yes. interesting. So um, the article is called Battle for the Thermostat, Gender and the Effective Temperature on Cognitive Performance. And it's by Chang and uh, Kajikate. And it is uh, in a journal called PLOS One, which is um, – PLOS one and that's an open access journal so actually anybody um, listening can go find it regardless of your permissions to get journal articles so that's a good thing yay that is good so let's talk about the findings a little bit Um, because I think it sounds like they're a little bit complicated in terms of what you can do since women are always cold in the office and that's bad for their performance but if we heat it up it could actually hurt men's performance so what do you do Yeah, so basically what they suggest is that um, men's performance takes less of a hit compared to temperature than women's makes a gain. So they suggest that overall in terms of performance, like temperature doesn't really matter, like the effects kind of wash out. But it depends on who you have more of in your office or if you can do like more individualized temperatures. Uh, But if you have to make a choice and you had equal groups of women and men, you actually get more bang for your buck by making it um, less cold because the increase that women see is greater than the decrease that men see. So temperature matters more to women's performance as well. Do they have like an actual amount? Like is it supposed to be like 70 degrees? Like what's the temperature supposed to be? Do they say anything? So they had different temperature groups um, Mm -hmm. that they had people take the study within. And um, those temperature groups, I can get you the specific temperatures. So um, the cold group was between 16 and 19 degrees Celsius, which is like uh, 60 to 66 degrees. So that's the cold group. That is cool. And <laughs> yeah, and it ranged all the way up to the warm group, which was 30 to 32 degrees Celsius, which is between 86 and 90 degrees. That's a little um, bit too warm, probably. Too warm, yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so basically what they uh, showed was that as the temperature got warmer, women did better. And as the temperature was colder, uh, um, men... Uh, tended to uh, do worse so at the end of the day basically we 
have a little bit of a different differential effect. They didn't make a recommendation about like this specific temperature is the sweet spot or anything like that. Um, but basically what they showed is that within these groups, men and women tended to differ in terms of their performance with uh, women doing better in the warmer groups and men doing better in the colder groups. I wonder if they couldn't find that. Like, I want to know that that's the next step. Someone needs yeah. to figure this out. Because there's like got to be. what is the right temperature? Right. Because I'm sure that when you get to like 85 degrees, like women probably aren't performing at their best either if they're sweating, like depending on the woman, you know, some people are very right. comfortable in that temperature. But like, um, I would say the majority of people when it's that warm might feel pretty, might feel warm and may yeah. not feel comfortable either. Um, and then I feel like if men are already suffering at higher temperatures, then maybe like that extreme would be really bad for them. So like maybe like 75 is better, maybe 74 is better. Or I feel like there's got to be a way to know, like on average, you know, you're going to see the best performance from both groups at X temperature because yes, warmer is better for women, cooler is better for men, but there's got to be too cold for everybody and too warm for everybody too. Cause I think yes. that that's possible. Yes. Um, and also, I think that um, there is we should probably define like what they had them doing, because this was a lab experiment with students. Mm -hmm. So they had students come in and basically like one session was the coldest. The next session was like a next level up. The next session was the next level up. And then the last session was the warmest. And they compared men and women within each session. And they randomly assigned people to sessions, so they're claiming that there would be no difference between, um, you know, people who um, showed up for one session or the other um, and in terms of their performance. And they didn't find any differences between the participants and other sorts of things that you might think would matter. Um, I did think that they could have done a better job at controlling for some stuff. So they didn't ask anybody about what their GPA was. Or um, mm. any other kind of like standardized test score that they might be able to collect. So one thing that I think they could have done a better job with in the study was to make sure that the people that they assigned to different groups actually did not differ in other measures that we might think would be related to ability. Um, so like they did the sessions at different times and they didn't report what time they did the sessions at. So one question that I had was like if you signed up to go to an earlier session even though once you were in the session you were randomly assigned to a place to sit and they did some other like randomization like if I'm a person that gets there early is there some reason to believe that uh, women versus men that get to a session early might have a different characteristic or men versus women that choose an early session might have a different characteristic so I felt like they could have done a little bit better job of um, actually assigning people to like the temperature condition time um, and also that they could have done a better job of measuring and just making sure that they didn't vary in terms of other kinds of um, backgrounds. So that's one thing that I think the study could have done a better job of is like just letting us know uh, that it wasn't by chance that one of these groups was actually just better or worse um, in terms of academics than another group. Mm -hmm. Um but what they did, what they made them do when they came in were just simple things. So one was uh, that they had them um, add up five double digit numbers. So there was a math test uh, where each problem was the same. It was just like five double digit numbers that you had to add without a calculator. Um, and then the other was a verbal test, which was a word scramble. 
and they had to uh, unscramble the letters uh, in each word. Um, and that was the verbal test. And then there was this other test that was called cognitive reflection, which were like word problems that required mm -hmm. you to think critically about the basically the answer. So um, an example problem is if a bat and a ball cost a dollar ten, um, and the bat costs one dollar more than the ball, how much does the ball cost? And the intuitive answer would be ten cents because you would think, oh, one dollar minus ten, but the bat costs a dollar more than the ball so the bat actually costs a dollar and five cents and the ball costs five cents so you have to think a little bit harder about those kinds of problems mm -hmm. and what they found was differences only in the math and verbal but not in the cognitive reflection so something oh, that I think people aren't reporting on which I think is sort of interesting is that in more of like the rote easier things they found differences by gender but in the questions that require I think those questions that third kind of question is a different kind of question and it's harder um in those questions they didn't see a difference in scores so um one thing that could be happening uh because they had too many questions then you could more questions than you could answer within the allotted time because it was timed mm -hmm. so one thing that they mentioned briefly in the article is that they think that people's motivation to answer problems was affected by their uh, comfort in the temperature. So women also attempted fewer problems in the colder uh, temperatures and men attempted more problems in the warmer temperatures um, compared to even just the ones that they got right. So, um, yeah, so it seems like to me, at least one important takeaway that people are not reporting about is that. Uh, people tend to try harder in a temperature that is comfortable to them on a task that maybe isn't as exciting or cognitively interesting. Whereas in the other problems, um, they had a, you were still supposed to do as many as you could, but they only had three questions and they had five minutes to answer them. So, most people answered all of them and there was no difference in what in the number of people got right so it's there seems to yeah, be something there's to do with some like complexity there. Yeah. definitely that sounds like there's some issues in the way the study's done um and yeah the, the way that they were asking the questions um because i could totally see that maybe like you're more distracted when you're cold so you're just not paying attention to try to finish all the questions but if you have enough time to answer them all like why wouldn't you? And then your ability doesn't necessarily get hindered. It's maybe it's more of a distraction, not right. an ability of effect. Um, right. So it sounds like there's a lot that needs to be done. So mm -hmm. I don't know if there's really concrete takeaways. I feel like people were reporting this article as if you walk away and we have to make our offices warmer. I mean, yeah, I would like that, but, um, <laughs> but it doesn't sound like there's actual like enough evidence here to make, a good argument that you need to be at a certain temperature. You need to be slightly warmer, slightly cooler, slightly whatever, because I, from everything you've just said, it sounds like there's a lot of holes. Um, so I yeah. think it's an interesting concept. I think it probably needs to be researched more and, f and we probably need to kind of dive into that and see if there's anything else out there um, that's addressing it. And if not, then, Hey, researchers wake up, let's, let's tackle yeah. this because I think that they're, you know, the concept is interesting and I'm hopeful yeah. that there's something and maybe there's nothing there and that would be interesting to know too we just don't really know from the study it seems like 
Yeah. And there's, you know, motivation issues, I think, here as well, where, I mean, if you're in the workplace and there's some kind of reward or some sort of like meaningful career progression or there's uh you know pressure or you personally want to look good in front of people you want to do a good job like that's also a little bit different than coming into a lab and just like here do a bunch of math problems that are kind of boring you know Mm -hmm. so um it could be more easy for you to be like yeah I showed up to this lab and it was cold in there and so I was kind of like cold and it was slowing me down a little bit in terms of getting things done um on the problems but I'm not like so in intrinsically motivated to complete that task whereas actually I think it makes some sense that the more interesting questions were uh showed less of a difference because those might be more challenging and then just like more intrinsically motivating um Mm -hmm. as well just because they're more interesting or entertaining kinds of questions that you might get more intrigued by um as opposed to just like add a bunch of these numbers together. And plus, since there were so many of the adding questions and so many of the word scrambles, you could also get bored of them after Mm -hmm. a while. And then like things that are in your environment might be more distracting as you're getting more tired and bored of doing something that's rote. So one takeaway might be like for people in jobs that are rote and more boring um, and, you know, they're kind of doing similar tasks all day that temperature or maybe when you're really tired or exhausted and easily distractible, a temperature might have more of an impact. So that might be an interesting research question is like, does it matter when the temperature um, is higher or lower? What kind of task you're doing in in that kind of um, environment? It would be another question that uh, we should probably think about. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think if you're really bored of the topic or just not engaged in it, then you could easily just let something distract you. You like let it happen, you know what I mean? Not consciously Mm -hmm. necessarily, but you're just able to be distracted more easily than if you're really engaged or interested in what you're doing. And I think to your point about motivation, like I mentioned earlier that I had a space heater and I had blankets and I had all these things, like I was clearly motivated to stay warm, to keep focused. Like if I'm freezing in there, I know personally um that if my hands are really cold like I have a hard time typing because I don't like that it feels weird and I want to get up and warm up or do something to warm up yeah Um, I think that if you're really really cold it is very distracting and probably the same thing if you're really really hot like if you're sweating and you can't like get control of that then you would probably not feel your best and feel distracted while you're working too but I was motivated to address that issue by having my space heater and having a blanket and doing those things so that I would be warmer and can just power through it and then probably was less distracted once I got into a comfortable situation um so I think motivation does matter that's not to say that the office maybe shouldn't have been a little bit warmer because I was not the only person with a blanket (laughs) and a space heater um so clearly that was probably like we were having to take extra steps to get to a comfortable place but we were all motivated to do that so that we wouldn't be in this situation so I think motivation probably does have a big impact here Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's just one of those things that um, it was very it's very buzzy. And I think that we all have like personal experiences. At least I I know like I get cold in office buildings a lot. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, I I'm sure guys get cold in them, too. But if there is some sort of uh, this article didn't provide any kind of reason why temperature might make a difference for men versus women um I saw a couple of uh like popular press articles that were written about like biologically women are more likely to get cold than men I honestly don't know the validity of those arguments um 
but uh, that's just something that I saw like floating around. So it would also be interesting to know more about why we think this is happening. Um, if there's, you know, some other thing going on um, with regard to, uh, you know, gender or, you know, I was thinking cold temperatures might make women feel uncomfortable because of like nipple related reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I mean, honestly, like it could be a primer for gender. Like if in, in all seriousness, like if you're cold and that's the way that your body responds, that anything that primes you f- to think about gender makes you do worse on gender type tasks. So yeah, that's, that's legitimately something that could remind you of the fact that like you're a woman. <laughs> so like, um, <laughs> so, you know, even just saying like, uh, listen up ladies or something like that reminds you that you're a woman and people do worse on tasks after someone said that, uh, gender type tests from stereotype threat literature. So it literally could have something to do with that, or it could just be something, you know, biologically, that the coldness is more distracting or more deeply felt or something. Um, But I just don't know what the answer is to that. So it would also be good to get some more insight as to like why. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, well, it seems like there's a lot that needs to be done in this area. I think it's great that we talked about it because it's been buzzy. It's been kind of all over the place. Um, And I think it's important to kind of break it down when we can to you know point out maybe where there are areas for improvement what we can learn from it um, because I do think it's an important piece and I think it's being picked up because of this conversation around gender in the workplace that's kind of prevalent right now which is great I think we need to keep having that conversation how do we continue to improve conditions in the workplace for women you know we've talked about harassment and the you know media and in kind of the society in the past couple of years like there's a lot of conversation being had around pay gaps and all sorts of different things I think more so than it has been in the past so this topic I think got kind of um, this article blew up because in my opinion because of that because people are talking about the workplace and these gender disparities and what can we do and what are we what do we know Um, so I think it's great I think it's great that it's got popular but I think we need to think through the research a bit more to really understand it before we go ahead and make some claims that you know maybe some articles are making claims about the research that you know even the researchers would not make those claims themselves so just being very cautious and going back to that original source is important um seems to be a theme for us the past few episodes (laughs) yes um what I think it might be important to also talk a little bit about open access journals yeah um just from a knowledge perspective you know we talk about journals and good research being hidden behind a paywall where you know, if you don't have access to a good library, sometimes you can't get those um, articles, so you can't actually read the original source. Open access journals are really great because you can. They're open to yeah. everybody. They're public information. But it does come with a bit of a stigma in academia, which makes it mm-hmm. challenging. Um, yeah. So <laughs> one thing you can take away from this about academia is there's some snobbery involved, as I'm yes. sure everyone assumes. That's <laughs> um, very true. Great research, great stuff being done, but there tends to be egos and snobbery just like in any other field or profession. So if you think about how challenging it is to get into certain journal articles, that's what people value. And when it's open access, right now it's easier to do. And that's just because it's never been open access. It's been kind of a a newer thing. So they're a little bit controversial. So then people don't want to publish necessarily in open access because it's not as prestigious. So there's a a lot going on there. Maybe Katina, you could talk more about it since you are even closer to it than I am. Yeah. Yeah. So basically open access as an idea, I think is 
really important. And basically, as you just said, the idea is that there's all this really good research that's getting done, but it's behind a paywall, which is why we're doing worker being right to bring that research to people. Um, and open access journals are, you know, were founded with the idea that we should be putting good work in the public sphere and not having it be behind a paywall. The issue is that all of these journals that are owned by publishing companies like Sage or um, Elsevier or other places like that um, basically have uh, they own the journals that academics publish in and those journals have been around for a really long time. And so each of those journals that are paid and that you have to get paid access to has like a history in academia. So it's like. Uh, journal of Applied Psychology has been around for over 100 years. So that journal has a long, steeped history of being a good journal that people compete to publish in. And it's seen as a prestigious thing to get in just because it's a known entity. So if Journal of Applied Psychology would decide to make itself open access, I don't think anyone would have a stipulation with that if it stayed the same and it was the same editors and the same people reviewing the papers, etc., I think people will be happy with that. The issue is that the people that own Journal of Applied Psychology make a lot of money off of it. So there's no way that they're ever going to make it open access. So it's like all of the journals that historically have built up this reputation of being prestigious and are really competitive to get into. Um, that's what you get incentivized to publish in because the more prestigious the outlet is that you publish in, the more prestigious your university looks looks in the public eye. So like for my job, I'm only incentivized to publish in um, journals that other people view as prestigious and people are only incentivized to affiliate themselves with those journals. So the really high quality researchers are much more likely to say yes to being an editor or a reviewer at the journals that are already well established, like Journal of Applied Psychology as another, as an example. Um, so you get really good people, really good reviews, really high quality stuff, and the review process remains really competitive, and they can fill their journal pages with really good stuff because they get tons of submissions, and they can afford to reject a bunch of things. In the more new journals that are not as well tested, like the open access journals, we could have the same method if people who are really high quality researchers would decide that they would take a chance on or or give themselves or their universities would give them some leeway to equally count being an editor there or reviewing papers there but the issue is that the universities are very steeped in these tradition and so they won't incentivize people to do those sorts of things so it's almost like you have to do it on principle that you really want to spend your time there but you have to kind of know that your job isn't going to care if you do it and obviously people do what they're incentivized to do so that's going to make it much less likely people are going to do it which means that the people that do serve as editors there or reviewers there tend to be uh you know overall could be of lesser quality because the people who are of higher quality are still affiliated with all of these like more historically um, popular journals. And so because there's more of a stigma with publishing there or being affiliated with it, people are less likely to send their manuscripts there, which mean that higher quality manuscripts are still going to other places. And that means that what they have to publish in order to fill their journal pages might not be as of high quality or have to go through as rigorous a review process. So it's sort of a self-perpetuating cycle of the stigma because then when you read the papers on there, it's easier to pick some holes in it because they're not going to be through this rigorous review process or as rigorous a review process. So anyway, the point is that if people just would 
if universities basically would allow faculty members to affiliate with things on the principle that open science would be a good thing for everybody in the field, I think people would feel more free to act on the principle, which I think everybody generally agrees with, that open science would be good. It's just that until people are incentivized to affiliate themselves with these kinds of things or their university sees that as a valuable activity, you're not going to find that many people that are going to do it because it's not something that they're told matters. Um, So that's the issue. I think that, yes, I agree. I think that universities have to incentivize it. I think there's a lot of, a lot of baggage with, with getting a new journal kind of up and running. But I think that there's plenty of very strong researchers with big names that have tenure that do not need to get a million top tier journal articles published to get tenure that are unwilling to do it. And I think that's where the change needs to come from. The universities are going to be the slower to change. They're bureaucratic, right? It's like a government. You're going to take a very long time to change the law. But if you're able to change certain practices or the way a law is interpreted, then you can make better Um, make some changes and evolve that law slower slowly over time and I think that's where the tenured faculty members that have that prestige like someone with a really big name in a field if they go and publish an open access journal immediately that journal gets more credibility yeah so there is power that faculty have that I think yeah they're not always leveraging yeah I think that uh full professors in particular Mm -hmm. uh have to take that responsibility on because until you are at the level of full, you're still always striving for something. Um, So it's really those full professors that are well-respected that I think could really get on the horn a little bit more about this. And there are some people um, who are really talking a lot about this and want to do something about this. So like Steve Rogelberg, for example, he's the editor of Journal of Business and Psych. Um, He's been talking a lot about making uh, JBP more open access. And uh, he's been talking a lot about the benefits of publishing in open access and transparency in science. Like he really is a person that's trying to do it better. Um, So there are some people that are getting up and trying to speak about that. But for every one person that's doing that, there's another person that's like, no, you know, like, I don't I don't think that that's the direction that we want to go in or they don't they don't they don't want to take buy. the risk themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that people are slowly changing around it. It's just that, um, yeah, the people that really are in the most powerful positions as faculty members who already have strong proven track records are the people that are going to need to um, incentivize that. And then over time, maybe it could change so that more junior people would feel more comfortable or that they would have someone to advocate for them that it was, uh, you know, still a good work. Um, yeah. Ultimately, I think that, you know, we don't do enough in academia of reading papers as opposed to counting where they got published anyway. Um, so uh, it would be a good incentive to see if the quality of the work is good as opposed to just looking at where it got published. And that's the only thing that gives it value. Yep. Agreed. Well, we could probably go on forever about yes. this topic because I have more to say, too. But there's no yeah. reason to <laughs> go off on that. Um, there's so many nuances there. But yes. it is something that's really good to know so that when you're you know, looking at journals and you're reading articles out there, you know, some of them are going to have a paywall and you can't get to them. And it's going to be so annoying and very frustrating if you don't have library access. And then others are going to be available like this one. And you know, just knowing that history and that context is important because, of course, the research can be phenomenal in an open access journal. Um, but that there is the caveat that there's all this noise going on in the background in academia. Um, so knowing like what you're reading and just being critical about it, um, making sure. Sh- but that's the case even if it was the top 
tear journal mm-hmm. anyways you still yeah. always want to be critical um so it, it's not to say that something that's published in one of those top journals is necessarily phenomenal work um there's yeah. politics behind that too so of course yes. it's always very good to be critical and to read the article and try to understand what they're saying and see what holes you might have what questions you have so that you um, walk away with it really understanding what they found the results and how it maybe is good or not so good or has some room for improvement and where what you can take from it and hopefully as we've been going through this podcast we've been helping you along that journey a little bit too because we I hope we're doing some of that as we talk through these articles as well yeah, definitely. I think that is all summed up very nicely. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you for sharing this article and talking to us about it. I think it's, again, I think it's really interesting um, concept. And I think it's an important thing for us to tackle some of these popular science projects, <laughs> research projects yeah. that maybe we're not um, seeing in some of the more uh, highly regarded journals that we usually pull from because Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to be learned from what we're seeing in these other areas too and especially when um, it becomes a popular topic I want to make sure that we have an opportunity to to talk about it and make sure that everyone's understanding you know the science behind it not just reading that that popular press piece of information and trying to dive in a little bit more deeply yeah absolutely I completely agree and um, if anyone ever has questions or uh, you know, feels like they're reading through something and they're not exactly sure um, if it's high quality or not. We're always happy to take questions or work through stuff with people if you have questions about specific pieces that you find. Of course, yes. Please reach out. You can find us at workerbeing.com. You can email us at workerbeing at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media at workerbeing on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. Bye. Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Mm-hmm.